0: We're looking at Joshua chapter 5. Kids are. Tired today. Kids are. I'm, I'm a little tired. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, I need some prayer while I'm up here. This message has a lot to it. I actually debated if I was going to do it in like a two or three part series, which I don't know if I've ever done. And you guys are probably now sitting in your pews going, great, he's going to go at least an hour with this thing. Um, but I just, I don't know, just... <laughs> what was that? No. I no, that brings even more stress because now I know I'm on a timer, my wife will then yeah, she will give me like a snap every like 10 minutes that elapses just so I know that where my time's at. but no, I need prayer i, I you know, I'm up here, and even with Dax and stuff like that it was it was a great weekend, it was a busy weekend, but sometimes you just you get tired and uh I have been wrestling with this message all week. I, I know that the, the Lord had drawn me to go into the book of Joshua. And I love, as I've told you guys, I love teaching you guys the word of God. I love to break down the passages and all that. But I also know that there's a place and a purpose for you know, this form of topical preaching where it's I pick a topic and then I kind of expound on that with the word of God and, and how that all lines up. And there's a lot in the Bible, as you guys know, and there's a lot. As we've always tried to advocate and press with you guys, which might sound weird, to read the Old Testament because there's a lot in there for our teaching and our understanding today. Um, You know, in our remembrance of past faithfulness, it leads to a sense of future obedience. I like that. I just thought of that. So remember that. So this remembrance of past faithfulness leads to a future, or leads to this sense of future obedience. So when we have. The scriptures that our grasp and we can read about just certain instances of, of disobedience and God's faithfulness and God's promises, it should lead to a sense of future obedience unto the Lord. So m- me preaching this message though today, like I said, I'm going to make sure that I package it up to the best of my ability. I-, I jotted down a couple things. As many of you know, I don't really preach from a lot of notes um, and I don't, you know, vilify anyone that does, but Um, I I really just want the Holy Spirit to kind of take a hold of this and and go. But, you know, the the thing I wanted to, I guess, expound on in the message today is this sense and this act that we may wrestle with as Christians that comes about when we look at the battles in our lives and we sometimes can twist up and mix up. Thinking that God should be battling for our purposes as opposed to us battling for the purpose of God. Does that make sense? Like when we really stop and we wrestle with it, and and as as Christians, we we can of course experience this, and you see this a lot in people that are non-believers as well. We make these disobedient choices and decisions that lead to consequences of those decisions and choices, and then we then expect. God to come and pull us from those consequences. Does that make sense to you guys? Like, it, I, I'm, I'm wanting to, to paraphrase this and generalize it as, as much as I can because this is something that I stand up here you know, guilty of doing as well. I have been disobedient to the Lord will, willfully as a Christian. There's a consequence of that disobedience and I may have an expectation that God will pull me from the funk that is incurred from that disobedience and we have to remember and realize first and foremost that we are living lives to give God glory in accordance to his purposes and his will flat out and we're promised in God's word that even in living lives as such that we are going to deal with battles but as we spoke about in the past about victory in Christ and all that that these battles are what they're already won Right, that these foes that we face, these adversaries that we face in our life and abiding in Christ, that these battles are already won. These foes are already defeated. And yes, and many times we 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 have these situations and these things that take place in our life that are not good, that are not always a circumstance of disobedience. So I want to make sure that I lay that out there. If you're dealing with illness or dealing with something going on, I'm not saying that that is because you've been disobedient. What I am saying, though, is as a Christian, if you are willfully disobedient to the Lord, there are consequences for that. And we have to understand that, that when we read throughout the Old Testament, we're going to unpackage that here in the book of Joshua as well, that if we preach and speak about a God of love, we have to make sure that we speak and preach about a God of judgment. We just do. You, you cannot encompass God's love without encompassing his judgment. Are we in agreement on that? I, I just want to make sure as a pastor, as long as I'm up here, I'm not preaching this fire and brimstone on you to, to make you fearful, but I want you to make sure that you have this complete identity of the holiness and the justness of God, the true and living God. And that the love of God that's spurred up and taken advantage of leads to what? Judgment. There's consequences. And we find that throughout especially the Old Testament. We, we see these scenarios where obedience is the calling of these people, especially a, a mighty leader in Joshua. And we see these situations that take place where, where disobedience then occurs and there is judgment that comes about from that disobedience. You guys tracking with me? So, in the book of Joshua here, and this is what's difficult for me, is I want to go to like the expository stuff. I want to break down everything before I get to the passage, and and I don't have time for time's sake to do that. Once again, I think you guys will all melt by the time I get through that, but I do want to give you a little bit of a layout and context here. So, in the book of Joshua, we are now in a place where Moses has died, and Joshua has been named the leader of God's people of the Israelites, okay? Now, for you guys that don't know, Moses was told that he would never see or enter the promised land, Canaan, okay? When Moses led the, the Israelites out of Egypt, how many of you remember the story of the Red Sea being parted? We remember that, okay? He leads them out. They, they go through the Red Sea. They are wandering in the wilderness for how many years? Forty. Forty. Good job, guys. This is great. If I had candy, I'd be chucking it at you right now. <laughs> We, we know that they've been wandering. So Moses dies. There is a strip of water that is, is between the Israelites and the promised land, Canaan. How many of you know what that strip of water is? What is it? No. No, no it's, it's separating candy. The Jordan River. Jordan River, okay. Remember, the Israelites are standing there. They see Canaan. We now, the, God now dries up the Jordan so the Israelites can cross and go over through the Jordan to enter Canaan, okay? The Canaanites get word of this. They get word that this God of Israel has dried up the Jordan River. Their hearts are now trembling, they are now fearful, okay? And this is all evident because Rahab had told the two spies that were sent over that the people here they're freaked out. They're freaked out because they know that your God did this amazing, miraculous thing. Okay, so in that that they're trembling. So they know and they feel great now. Like yes, we're going to take this huge, amazing city by the name of what Jericho. Okay, these walls are up, and God is instructing the Israelites, on what they're supposed to do. There's an instruction here, okay? But there's something here that's significant that we have to look at when we look at Joshua chapter 5 that I want to expound on because it's something that I came across this week. And I'm like, this is so prominent and significant for us as Christians to remember and to realize. So I'm going to start off at verse 13. This is the fall of Jericho. In Joshua chapter 5. Starting off here, it says, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? The response, verse 14, Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord... I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. I'm going to continue on here. Chapter six. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. You guys remember and recall here, as we're going to go through here, God gives some pretty, what may seem odd, orders in regards to what the Israelites are supposed to do. Okay, I'm going to read that here. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carried trumpets and rams horns in front of the ark, and on the seventh day march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. Now the number seven was this number of of perfection, okay, to the Jews and to the Israelites. You look at that in their in their culture, seven represented perfection. When you hear the sound, when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up Every one straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and have seven priests carry trumpets in from or in front of it. And he ordered the army, advance, march around the city with an armed guard, going ahead of the ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken of the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. Then the armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests, carrying the seven trumpets, went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpet kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to camp. They did this for six days, and on the seventh day, They got up at daybreak, marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day they circled the city how many times? Seven Seven times. The seventh time around when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, what church? Shout, Shout, For the Lord has given you the city. The city and that all is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. I'm going to stop there. Now, for anyone reading this, this might sound odd. It might sound odd that God gave all these decrees and laid out all these things that seem to be pretty specific in what to do. But if we really stop and think about it, when we look at the, the aspect of obedience, right? We're just called to be obedient. This was a a way that when you can even read it, that God is is laying out God's ways and, and what he's asking you to do. And sometimes we can get stuck and caught up in questioning why it is we should be doing what we're doing. But we know that this is what God is calling us to do. And we have to be obedient to it. And Joshua, as we read, was being obedient to this. Now, when we also read it, I, I like to back, or backtrack a little bit because when we see when the trumpets sound that the walls will fall, a lot of people will assume or think that it was the noise of the trumpets that caused the walls to fall. And I don't know if I'm really picking that up. I see it more as this is a supernatural thing that takes place because this was a city that was heavily fortified. It was a city that in, in a war strategy you would want to take because we know that the Israelites had to advance. So if they did not take Jericho... They would obviously have issues with them coming up behind them as they're trying to take these other lands and territories. But with the, 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 the walls actually just falling and crumbling down by the, the noise of trumpets, okay? we just have to look and see it more in a sense that it was because of God's just supernatural power and ability that he brought these walls down because he commanded them to fall. And we know that the city already inwardly was already fearful of the Israelites because of what they heard that took place at the Jordan. But when we backtrack even more and we see the situation, this encounter with God and the the man with the sword, I want you guys to to listen to this encounter again and, and think about this. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up ahead of him and asked, or went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? What is the man's response? Neither. Neither. You guys ever wrestle with what that is really saying? See, I I sit here and I look and I'm not trying to put too much into this as my wife knows that, that I really try to avoid, but in reading and studying more about Joshua's character and about Joshua's this amazing strategic leader of God's army. Like he was. He was this, this amazing warrior. Very smart. Very clever. Okay? It wouldn't be so far-fetched, if you will, that, that Joshua has witnessed this, this drying up of the Jordan. The word has already come back to him that the people in Jericho are fearful. This city, this huge city that when we recall earlier on when Joshua and Caleb and some other spies went in, there was 10 of them that came back and said, what, like, you don't want to mess with these guys. They're huge, they're nasty, they're mean. But it was Joshua and Caleb that came back and said, what, we can take this. With God, we can do this. So Joshua was that man. He had that faith to him. When we read this, I'd look at it and i go, it wouldn't be so far-fetched for Joshua to, to go up and he's evaluating maybe in his war mindset how he might want to take the city. You know, he's looking at Jericho and he's maybe evaluating and seeing these things and all that. He's excited and knowing that this battle is going to be won. Just like you and I in our lives, when we deal with things, sometimes we can get a little full of ourselves. We can sit there and think, because all these things have taken place, that obviously God has shown us mercy in some sense, maybe God has done some things to show us favor, that we, as many of us do, tend to drift off and go, well, I can do this on my own. And we forget in actuality whose battle is this. And we approach and we see things that take place in our lives as well where we can easily just sidestep and, and, and forget That this is God's battle that he's put in front of us and this is a battle that God has already won. And that these foes and these people that we're going to deal with, they're already defeated through our abiding in Christ. So I love when Joshua talks to this man and he says to him, are you for us or for our enemies? He says, neither. Neither. I'm not here to fight for you and I'm not here to fight for them. You're here to fight for God in accordance to his purpose and his will. And what is the will and purpose and context that we're seeing here? That the Israelites have to go and take the city. That God is fulfilling a promise that he gave to Abraham. That this promised land that was going to be the Israelites is coming to fruition. It's right there in front of them. And maybe, as as we tend to get and as we tend to be, we can get a little full of ourselves in that aspect. And we need to remember in the battles that we face, even these ones that, once again, that seem to maybe get us on our knees, where we sit there and we wrestle and struggle with what's going on in front of us, because we think in our own might and our own will and our own purpose that we can defeat these battles or win these battles on our own. But And going back even to what I said to you guys before about also these battles that are in front of us that maybe God didn't ordain to take place in front of us to an extent. Maybe these battles are in front of us because why? Because maybe we've made decisions and we've been disobedient and we see these things playing out. But one of the things that I want to I guess go and and read too. You guys don't have to jump there, but if you want to, you can. It's in 2 Kings chapter 6. And I once again I want to just connect scripture here with scripture because this is important that you guys realize this in regards to these battles already being won because we can lose sight of it so quickly. In 2 Kings chapter 6. Starting off at verse 8. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel, and after conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the the Armeans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place, indicated by the man of God, Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he would be on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, Tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel. None of us, my lord the king, said the one of his officers. But Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go, find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back. See here, I lost my spot. He is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of what? Horses, Horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Now this is not being me being topical to you guys in my preaching. This is me just, I want you to see the foreshadows of these Old Testament teachings and words in regards to even us as Christians that when we are in battles that God has put in front of us, even in the midst of our obedience to him, that he is with you. You may not understand or know or see or figure out what's going to happen or how these battles are going to be won, but he is with you. And in your remembrance, once again, that in thinking, okay, are you for us or are you against us? Just think of that one word, neither. I'm here for God's purpose and his will, and my obedience to him He will see me through these battles. He will. He always does. You guys hear when we pray for people and all that, we pray for them to operate and to function in the purpose of God's will. Well, where does that begin? It begins with obedience to Him as well. We hear and see so many people, and I'm guilty of it as well, that wrestle with this because they will make decisions and choices that they willfully know are disobedient to God that puts them in these battles that they struggle and wrestle with, why aren't they seeing their God do something in the midst of those battles? God's always doing something. And as we've read and learned in the past, that God will even leave us in those situations, in those battles, for discipline as well, to teach us something in the midst of it. And we, have to, we have to grasp that. When you guys go to Matthew 26, I, I won't turn there, but you see when Jesus is in the garden and Peter Remember what Peter does. He pulls out a sword and he cuts off one of the guard's ears. What does Jesus say to Peter? He says, put your sword away. Don't you know that if I wanted to, I could have a legion of angels come here and take everyone out if I wanted to? We understand and know that God is almighty and that he is powerful. But we have to stop and remember that these battles truly belong to him. First Samuel, David, when he's battling Goliath. Those are the words that he says. The battle belongs to who? Belongs to the Lord. So we've got to stop. We have to reposition our hearts and our minds here when it comes to this, this mindset of, okay, who is God for? Who is he with? And none of that. I'm not saying that God's not going to go ahead and fight ahead as we see in the, in the, the battles of the Old Testament. But you guys got to just stop and remember, you're living in accordance to his will and his purpose. And these battles that are being put in front of you, even in the midst of your obedience, still are a a fulfillment of his will and his purpose in your life. But to, once again, go back to the sense of disobedience, and this was something that I preached on a couple years ago, I remember, is Achan's sin. And this is something that, that sometimes is very difficult for people to grasp because you see what comes about with Achan in the midst of his sin. But we see the Israelites, they take... Jericho, okay? So everything happens in accordance to what God said would happen. They marched seven times, seven days, seven priests, all these things. All these things take place. The city falls. God now is instructing them to go take Ai. If you want to get Hebrew about it, it can be pronounced as well, AE, But I'll say Ai. It's an easier way to remember it. He tells them to go, but he instructs them specifically, don't take devoted things. And he lists, there are certain things in here that I I don't want you to take that I don't want you to grab. And when we look and we see this, and I'll go on here in in chapter 7, I'll start from there. There's an individual by the name of Achan that is disobedient. And in his disobedience and his sin, we will read that his decisions and his sin does not just affect him as the individual, but who else does it affect? It affects everybody. All of Israel. It affects his family as we even will see as well. And in a culture where we, where we live and we speak about people's individualism and things like that, especially in the church, yes, there's, there's some sense of truth to that, but at the same time, we have to stop and realize the power of sin. Your sinful decisions and choices affect other people, especially within the church. They do. And once again, I don't stand up here to preach this to you guys to make you sit there and feel bad like I'm coming down on you. I just want you to understand this with a foreknowledge and going into and seeing and maybe some things you may be wrestling with as well. Things that my wife and I know that we had to come to terms with, we had to repent of as well. So I want to start off here in in chapter 7. Once again, we, we see Jericho has fallen. God has sent the Israelites into this town called Ai. He said you're to take the city, but guess what ends up happening? They end up losing. They end up falling to Ai. I believe 36 Israelite soldiers end up dying and they end up retreating. Okay, This is a a horrible thing, especially for an individual like Joshua, knowing this sense of defeat. We even read and see that Joshua falls on his face, tears his clothes, pours dust on his head. He's lamenting, he's grieving, he's sorrowful because of what's taken place. So I'm going to start off here in chapter 7, book of Joshua. But the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them, so the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near beth Aven, to the east of Bethel, and told them, go up, spy out the region. So the men went up and spy, spied out Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they said, not all the army will have to go up against Ai. Send two or three thousand men to take it. Do not weary the whole army. For only a few people lived there, so they're evaluating, seeing that this doesn't look like much of a challenge at all. So about 3,000 went up, and they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. And Joshua tore his clothes, fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been, we'd only been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Pardon your servant, Lord. What can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this. And they will surround us and wipe out your name from the earth. What then will you do, for, or what then will you do for your great name? This is huge because this is an individual in Joshua that is starting to express what? A little bit of lack of faith. He's starting to get shaken a little bit. There's been disobedience that's taken place in Israel. And there's circumstances of that disobedience. What was that disobedience? Achan sinned. All of Israel was affected by that. But when you look, and I'll go back, you guys don't have to, but if you want to, you can, you go back to Exodus. This is kind of a cool parallel because you see this taking place as well when it comes to uh, Moses and what took place with him in Exodus chapter 14. And this is something that my wife and I love to press and push on people as well. Exodus chapter 14, verse 15 God says something here to Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. And then God goes on to say what it is that he's going to do. But then we see the same thing take place with Joshua in verse 10. The Lord said to Joshua, What, guys? Stand up in chapter 7. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has done what? Sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. And what is the foreshadow here, guys, as we look at the church, as we look at today as Christians? Well, first and foremost, the point that I love to make out here to people as well is, is there's a time to pray as a Christian. But guess what? There's also a time to act as well. Like we can sit there, we can lament, we can struggle over certain things in our lives, we can see these things that are going on, we can pray to God But there's also a time to act if God reveals to you that there's a willful sin in your life. Something that is devoted to destruction as we've taught and we teach in this church that sin leads to that. This isn't me just saying it because the Bible just says it. This is truth. All of us in here can say we've made dumb, dumb decisions in our lives that have not been of God and it brought us to a place that has not been good. Plain and simple. God will reveal and show you those things if you seek and ask for it. He will. And we can continue to pray. We can continue to be down in our faces and asking for certain things. But once again, there will be a time where God will say to you through his spirit, stand up. Do something about this. You have to do something about this. You're in a place right now that has brought on a place of destruction because of decisions that you've made. Maybe you've done something against God, right? And we'll even read as we go on too that the, that the, old, the only reason that, that Achan actually even repented was, was was because the finger was pointed at him as well. We see that a lot in the church too. And I'm not knocking anyone's repentance because someone calls them out for it. But doesn't it only seem that people apologize usually when they get caught doing the stupid thing that they're doing. Like, my wife brings that up to me a lot. Not because of me personally, but she will sit there and say, like, she'll notice people falling down and asking for forgiveness, which is not a bad thing. I'm not saying that, but it tends to be most of the time when it's because someone catches them. Do it with our kids a lot, right? When they're growing up. Are you only sorry because you got caught? Or are you sorry because there was really a conviction in you that was leading you to admit? And all of our kids have done it. We've been blessed with that. Every single one of them. Have, this one laying here in the front is notorious for it. The other day, she stole a little cheese stick cracker thing. I didn't even know it. That's unusual. I usually catch the kids doing stuff. She stole and it. if it's house, She stole a it. She stole it. <laughs> she stole it within the confines of the home and the, the rules of the home. She broke a rule. Told her, you can't eat that stuff. Our kids love snacks, they hate meals. So many of you can probably say amen to that. But they don't ever eat meals, but they're all about snacks and grazing. Tell her, you can't grab that stuff. She walks by, I'm talking to my wife and all that. Kind of quiet, Dessa comes walking back out with this cheese cracker and thing. She didn't even open it. She puts it down on the counter. I'm like, did you steal that? I use the word steal. She looked at me and she just was like, I go, sweetie, you're not supposed to do that. She's like, I know, I know, I know I'm not supposed to. She was hungry, hungry, but there was something in Dessa that convicted her to go, you know what, I shouldn't take this thing. We as Christians are blessed with those convictions, but even people that aren't Christian, I don't want to let them off the hook. Even non-Christians have God's laws written on their hearts to an extent. They know what's right and what's wrong. Amen? Amen. As Christians, though, we have to stop and realize, though, that we have to act on those convictions. Tell our kids that all the time. The greatest thing that you possess in this world when you go out into it is the convictions that you hold that God's instilled in your heart. Your ability to identify what's right and what's wrong and the ability to abstain from wrong to run to that which is right. Okay? That That is the power of being a Christian. That is the victory that we have as Christians, that the world does not. And every day you guys encounter situations and struggles that will pull you out of that Christ-likeness into the things of the world. Amen? Every day you guys are going to encounter some stuff. Even if you're obedient to God. I'm not going to sit here and say that your obedience will lead to just these green pastures of just fluffy, happy things. No. You will deal with battles. But remember and stop and think, whose battle is this? It is the Lord's battle. I will be fine. I will be. He will see me through this. He is fighting with me and in a sense for me. But I know in my obedience to him that I am living for him in accordance to his will and his purpose. But then when we look at the flip side of it, once again, guys, when it comes to Achan... And we see what takes place after he sins. He gets stoned to death. Now you guys are sitting in the pews going, wait a minute, what? Like, he gets stoned. Not only does he get stoned, his whole family gets stoned. They even remove the stuff that he stole and they burn it. They even put him in a place called Acor, which means the land of trouble. We, we wrestle with this, and I'm not standing up here as a pastor to go, if you sin against God, get ready that you and your family are going to be stoned. I'm not saying that. But the foreshadow of this that I want you guys to take away is, is that in the midst of our disobedience to God, there are consequences for that disobedience. And you may wrestle and struggle with those consequences, as children do when they get punished. That is the most annoying thing as a parent. I just thank God for his patience and his his love and his mercy because when you read throughout the Old Testament, if you guys stop and really just assess what the Old Testament says, so many people think they see this wrathful God taking place. I see a patient God, a very, very patient and loving God. But one of the most annoying things my wife and I will agree with is is that our kids will willfully do something stupid, they'll get in trouble for it, and then get mad at us for being punished. But then i got to stop and go, wait a minute, I did the same thing as a kid. I used to hate when my parents would punish me. I used to just, what? And it was so arrogant and so prideful. I did something wrong. There is a consequence. For that. You're welcome, Brenda, because I know the boys are listening. Their heads are down right now, too. They're like, great. He had to say, Jared and Johnny, I was there, guys. Like, dude, seriously, I was that kid. I used to just get so. Our kids do. They get livid. There's no lamenting when they get punished. They don't tear their clothes and pour dirt on their head and go, Mother, Father, forgive us. We did not. No. They fight with us because they're in trouble. God wants you and I to view this in the same perspective. You got we're gonna put this out there as a church. You guys know when you're doing something wrong. Amen. Or ouch. (laughs) You know. You can lie to everyone else. You can sugarcoat it. You can give every justified reason. You can say, well, this person did this to me, and they did, I never did that, whatever. You and God are the two that know the truth. And when you do those things that are wrong, and there's a consequence for it, you've got to park yourself in that place of righteousness and go, I get it. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have done that. And I'm guilty of it. As your pastor, I, I can stand. We're driving around Detroit yesterday, and my wife she sits there, and we're driving, and Dax is wanting to see a train. We're going through downtown Detroit. There's all this stuff going on, and my wife wants Dax to see this train, and she's telling me that we got to turn in places. We got the GPS up there and all that, and things are different. Like my wife and I would drive around before. See, I'm making excuses already for myself. We're driving around. There's Jelaine, you said these words to me. And I didn't want to incorporate this in the sermon, but I will to make you look great and me look bad. (laughs) Finally. Finally. She said these words. Your dad used to be more patient with me in the car. And I had every reason in my brain on why I thought that was a load of crap. (laughs) Dax, the, the GPS... Hearing a kid yell, train, which then makes my wife anxious to say, like, I'm doing it right now. I'm giving excuses. And I'm saying it, and I wanted to say something. I was being snippy. The Lord literally put a mirror up so I could see myself. He said these words. She's right. You used to be more patient. Because it doesn't matter what she does. What does it matter? What you do. How you respond. As far as you're concerned. What are you doing? That is the position of a Christian. Am I right? And we all are guilty of this. So that was my like humbling moment driving because I 'm like, she's right. I could sit there and make excuses. All I can do is control how i 'm responding, how I 'm showing Jesus in the midst of this crazy, chaotic situation with people marching and all this stuff going on. and it was great. It was a great time, but it was it was stressful. I think mom means that. Too. That's fine. Your mom does great, though. She's an amazing. She's got hit with the word of God. Yeah. No, no, it's not. No, because here's the deal, though. And I'll close with this because we're all sweating now, and I don't know if it's the heat or if it's conviction. It's conviction. Probably conviction. <laughs> I just want you guys to take away from this when we look at Joshua, and you guys will read throughout it throughout the, the Old Testament. You will see so many acts of disobedience. And you will see in the midst of that disobedience, a loving and merciful, just God lay out judgment on that disobedience. And if I'm preaching to you a God of love, I have to preach to you a God of judgment. Because then you're only going to get this this weird version of what his love is. His judgment encompasses so much to it. It isn't because he's being a jerk. It's to correct behavior. It's to put you back into right. It's to grow you. It's to discipline you, just like why we do what we do with our kids. And in the midst of obedience, we all can agree, man, when I'm making better decisions and choices, there does tend to be a little bit more peace in my life. Can we agree to that? There just tends to be the situation with my wife in the car. That could have gotten. Worse than what it was. She's so pretty. She's looking at me. It could have gotten worse. And guess what? It was a phenomenal car ride back home. Was it because of anything that she did wrong? Or no. I could have been the one. I could have been the element that took it to a whole nother level. And we as Christians, we have to stop and realize that. We've got to be honest with ourselves. And when we're disobedient, which we all know when we are, I love saying that because everyone's looking at me like, He's right. He's right. Because I know when I'm doing something stupid, I know I'm doing something that God doesn't want me to do. I know when I say something that I shouldn't be saying. I know it, but I still do it, right? Book of Romans, why is it I do the things I don't want to do, yet I can't do the things that I know I'm supposed to do? What a wretched person I am. Who's going to save me? You know who saves you? Jesus Christ, because you guys are not perfect, but you are being perfected. And it's through him that he will discipline you, but it's through him that he also shows you grace and mercy in that correction, and you continue to become a brand new creation. Amen? Like I said, I know I was everywhere, and I know that I wanted to package it up, but I want you guys to leave with that, okay? Remember, the Bible is here for our instruction. Read of past faithfulness from other people and remember your faithfulness and remember God's faithfulness to you and his fulfillment of his promises, which will lead to what? Future obedience to him as well. Amen? Lord Jesus, I just give you thanks for your word. Lord, I give you thanks for your spirit just reminding us of the righteousness that we have with you, Lord, and in that just stirring up a sense of conviction for us to to cry out to you, Lord, as we know that salvation belongs to you completely, Lord, and in the midst of that salvation of us being saved, you call for us to come to you and ask for forgiveness, Lord, for us to repent of any sin that we have in our lives, Lord, and, and come to you with this understanding of, of your faithfulness that you'll forgive us. So, Lord, if there are people in this room right now, people that are amongst the body, the saints, Lord, that are holding on to some sin, some willful sin, that they have just maybe convinced the world around them that is not there, Lord, we pray right now that they just come to you with repentance and asking for, for forgiveness to strip themselves of those things that lead to destruction as your word says. And there's a peace that comes with that too, Lord. There's a peace that comes with us in repenting our sins to you. Because we trust in your faithfulness. We trust in your faithfulness that you do forgive us, Lord. You forgive all sin. And in that, we are made brand new. And in that, Lord, we are even being made perfect more and more in your image every day. So, Lord, once again, I just... Leave that with this body, Lord. I, I pray that those seeds just plant themselves in their hearts and mind, that their, their reverence for you is just newfound. We pray for their weak as well. It is in your name, Jesus Christ, that we pray these things. Amen. Thank you guys very much.